This is the Dan Grasa Show on 98.7 ESPN. At Dan Grasa, G-R-A-C-A is where you can find me on Twitter. It's also where we have our poll, our poll question of the night. Actually, you know what? This is the first poll question we've done since the show launched, as a matter of fact. Would you include R.J. Barrett in a trade for Donovan Mitchell? So far, it's uh, pretty lopsided in favor of no, pretty much 70-30. But we'll keep the poll open for the rest of the show, and, you know, we'll see what happens there. Uh, A lot of baseball, certainly tonight, with both teams taking a pause after the Subway Series. They'll fire it back up tomorrow. Mets home against Colorado. The Yankees on the West Coast against the lowly A's. Figure to see Giancarlo Stanton back into the mix for the Bombers, which certainly will be a welcome sight for them. And a lot of basketball, too, here with the Donovan Mitchell rumors situation involving the Brooklyn Nets. Before we get back to the phone calls, you know, Last night we did a lot of the net stuff where, you know, the word is out that Kevin Durant's coming back. They're going to continue the partnership. They're going to move forward. Move forward was the word that they used Um, and that everything is hunky-dory. But as I said last night, you got to be a fool to think that we're not going to be having this conversation at some point between now and the next 12 months regarding Kevin Durant being unhappy, the Nets looking to make a move, and if it's not going to be KD, it'll be Kyrie, who's a free... See, KD's got a four-year extension already. Kyrie wants to get paid. So Kyrie could be disgruntled employee if the Nets don't cave in to what his demands are, as I've said many, many, many times. Kyrie Irving might not even finish the season as a Net because things could get so bad that... His people could ask the Nets, you know, hey, let's start talking Turkey and start talking extension during the season. The Nets will say, nah, you know, we're going to wait to see how this plays out. And then you're going to have Kyrie, who all of a sudden may become someone who isn't as interested as being all in and all about Brooklyn as he claimed to be after he found out that the Lakers couldn't pay him anything more than $6 million. So that's why he opted in back with the Nets. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. Going to happen. So now what do you make of this? You know, how do the Nets proceed? How should the Nets be viewed going into the season? Because for the time being, you got Durant, you got Kyrie, and you've got that mystery called Ben Simmons. Jay Williams on KJM this morning basically said this came down to the guy who signs the checks, Joe Sy, taking a stand. This was a sign of something that is going to be on its way and it's going to be dropped with such a hard hammer. Joe Sy of the Brooklyn Nets took a stand and said, no, you have signed a contract. You have four more years left on your contract. You are not going anywhere. Because when Rudy Gobert got traded from Utah to Minnesota, when the assets that Danny Ainge got in return for Rudy Gobert, that reset the market and it minimized KD moving anywhere. Now, Josiah dabbled with it. Okay, let's see what the market offers. The market could not go above what it offered for Rudy Gobert. And that minimized the chance of it happening. And Josiah said, we're not doing it. We value this franchise. He stated it multiple times, Max. We're doing what's in the best interests of the Brooklyn Nets. Bottom line, I mean, Jay is preaching to the choir right there. That's, that's what he's doing because the Nets were the ones that held all the leverage. I mean, I don't know how many times I had to say it during the last couple of months when this whole thing was being rumored about. You weren't talking about a guy who was heading into his walk year like, let's say, Kyrie Irving is. This is somebody who already put pen to paper on a four-year extension. What was Kevin Durant going to do? Threaten to leave? Threaten to retire? Threaten to walk? If you're the Nets, you say, good, do it, go. Then we don't got to pay you. But we own your rights for the next four years. 
And that's not in Durant's, you know, playbook. Never has been. Say what you want about him. You hate the fact that he jumps from team to team to team. He's overly sensitive. But he's not a guy who sulks and quits when it comes down to basketball. The guy can play. The guy lays it out there when he is healthy enough and capable of taking the floor. So the Nets should have held out as long as possible for the best deal. And if they didn't get a package that they saw fit, you know what you do? You say you're coming back. And that's the conclusion that we arrived at. It really is not all that surprising. So now where do they go from here? Let's see what Jay had to say about the big three in Brooklyn heading into the season. What is the best way for all three of these individuals to change the narrative? To go out Just and to win, dominate yeah. the league. Yeah. And next year, even if Kyrie wants to be in L.A., if he goes to L.A. as a two-time champion, now he did it without LeBron. If KD wants to go somewhere else, now he's won it without Golden State. Ben Simmons has changed the narrative about himself. He's actually shooting the ball. He's a franchise player. This could be his franchise to move forward with. It gives don't everybody even need to shoot the ball. a chance to reset what the narrative have been about them for the last several years. I just don't think it's going to happen. I mean, it's not that, you know, Jay's not wrong, but how confident are you that that's even going to be a likelihood? I, I don't think so. I mean, look at the Eastern Conference right now. Because you're basing this off the fact that these three guys are all going to coincide with one another perfectly, in perfect harmony. They're going to take the floor. They're going to be available. They're going to be unselfish. They're going to get along. There's going to be no controversy. And the talent is going to win out at the end of the day. You know, say what you want about some of these other big threes that we had in the past. Like, if you go back to the guys in Miami, the ones that really kind of, like, kick-started this next chapter of super teams and big threes, you know, like with LeBron and Wade and Bosh. Those guys weren't selfish. Those guys... Not to say that they didn't have egos, but those guys, you know, it, it wasn't a question as to whether or not that they were going to play or they were going to be all in or they were going to be committed. And there wasn't as much drama surrounding them as what you have with these guys. I mean, starting with Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is an enigma. Like, we don't know if he is going to play or not. Like, we really and truly don't. I mean, they say he's always oh, all in. He's committed. He's this. I mean, OK, show me opening night. And show me Ben Simmons in a Nets uniform out on the floor actually contributing before I can actually say, oh, yeah, well, okay, okay he's back. Right? Like, I, I made the point last night. Okay, Durant is there, and you expect everything is going to be great. He's going to love Steve Nash as a head coach. He's going to have the utmost faith in Sean Marks as the general manager. But let's not forget the fact that you have the other two guys who are more liable and more likely to derail this whole operation, and that is Kyrie and Ben Simmons. You know, think of it as like a table with three legs. If one of those legs collapses, so does the table. So if two of the three legs are a little creaky and not as sturdy, how long do you think that table is going to stand? That's why I can't go all in on the nets. I can't. I don't care what the odds say. I don't care where Vegas has them. What did, they, what did I say last night? They were like sixth or something like that in the odds to win a championship. Their odds went down to 9-1 to one after getting KD back. But Boston is ahead of them. Golden State's ahead of them. Phoenix, Clippers, Milwaukee. All right, so just based on the betting odds, you have two teams in the Eastern Conference alone. And you know what? I'll even put a third. 
I'll put Philadelphia ahead of them. That's three teams right there. And how do we know what the Miami Heat are going to be this year? I'm not the biggest Heat guy. I'm not all about, like, Heat culture and that type of stuff. But, you know, they were a pretty good team last year. And a pretty good team enough so that Kevin Durant wanted to get traded there. No state taxes either in Florida. But you know what I'm saying? So why should we go all in on the Nets when this group has not done anything over the last three seasons collectively? And I know that Simmons hasn't been there for three years, but the KD-Kyrie tandem, they've won one playoff series. One in three years. And now all of a sudden, they're contenders? They're going to win a championship? Let me ask you a question. Do you think Steve Nash is coaching this team when the calendar turns to 2023? I mean, I don't know if it's going to make that big of a difference. I mean, we've seen teams fire coaches midseason, go on to win championships, right? Look at what happened in Cleveland. They got rid of Blatt. Ty Lue takes over. They win a championship. Because you had LeBron James. You had the best player in the world, so that's that's a big part of it. But, all right, fine. They're going to show up to training camp. They're going to do their thing. But does anybody think this is, like, happily ever after? I don't even think the Nets feel that deep down. Why would you? 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. Perry's in Stamford. It's up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Perry, how you doing? Hey. What's up, Perry? Turn that radio down for us. Yeah, I did. Now, I'm What's just going on? about the, um, the Mitchell trade in JR. I feel like, you know, we don't really know if Mitchell could play in New York, regardless if he came from here or wherever he's near here. Doesn't mean he can play here. And not only that, we need to stop giving away all our players because once we give away JR, who are we going to have to back up? RJ. Off, off RJ. Bench? I mean, RJ. Yeah. And who are we going to have? We ain't going to have anyone. Then I'm tired of seeing that. You know, I've I'm, I'm been a, a Nick fan for the longest, you know, and it's like I just feel like Danny Ame is trying to get him so he can try to parlay off of him too because they don't like to pay no one. So maybe they take him, they take Jr. and parlay off of him too because he's trying to just get all picked, it seems like. Right. They so want it, They want to – they're stripping this thing down. But you know what? That's for Danny Ainge to decide if we ever get to that point. Like, if you're in, like with the Knicks fan, don't worry about what Utah's doing and what Danny Ainge's intentions are. And I thank you for the call, Perry. Bottom line is, if this ever comes to it, you're not giving him away for nothing. You'd be getting back a pretty darn good player in Donovan Mitchell. Don't you think? A pretty darn good player. But that comes with the territory. You know, like you said, like, well, who, who's going to be left? You know, who's still going to be here? Yeah, that's fair. You remember, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up the Miami guys again from 2010 with LeBron. Remember when those guys went down there and they made that whole thing work? And those guys took a little bit less so they could all play together. But once you had LeBron and Wade and Bosh, they didn't even have enough money left over to basically round out a full roster. They were signing these dudes off the street and giving them, like, you know, the league minimum. You know, they brought Udonis Haslam back, and they signed, you know, Jawan Howard, who was on his last legs, and, you know, the, the Shane Battiers of the world, and so on and so on. Just finding any type of role player knowing that those three were going to eat up the lion's share of the minutes and the lion's share of the production. But you got to remember something else, too. Like, while we're sitting here and we're, 
you know, spinning this around and these possibilities and what could happen and what is it going to take. And remember, to make it work from a cap standpoint, they're going to have to get a little bit creative. It's not just going to be R.J. Barrett, because R.J. Barrett doesn't make any money right now. Not money to where it's sizably going to affect your salary cap. Knicks are also going to have to toss in some other pieces, too. Like Evan Fournier makes money. Derrick Rose makes money. Like, there's going to have to be some combination of one of those guys probably going the other way in some sort of a trade just to make all things equal money-wise. Which I don't think any Nick fan is going to cry if one of those guys or both of those guys are off the team. You know, so if it's like Evan Fournier and or Derrick Rose, plus some draft choices, you know, and then they also might want to get their hands on, you know, a, a Quentin Grimes or a Cam Reddish. You know, I'm throwing out the young players, Obi Toppin, IQ, like, you know, mix and match some type of possibility. And you could still hang on to R.J. Barrett. Yeah, your roster is going to look a little bit thin, but you know what? Looks pretty darn good top-heavy, doesn't it? Looks pretty good with some of that high-end talent you have that are going to be your big movers and shakers on that team. 800-919-3776, that's the telephone number. We come back, we'll switch gears, do a little bit of football. Jets and Giants are going to do something tomorrow they have not done in over a decade. We'll talk about that coming up next. Dan Grosser with you till the top right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Checking out our Twitter poll here. Would you include R.J. Barrett in a trade for Donovan Mitchell? 71% say no, 29% say yes. I don't think that that one is uh, changing anytime soon, at least before we get off the air. But you can check it out at Dan Gross at G-R-A-C-A. So, last, last time the Jets and Giants took to the practice field to have one of these, you know, training camp scrimmages. You got to go all the way back to 2005. That was a long time. Some of you might not even have been born yet. Because I know we have a big young audience on this show. All the kids are talking about it these days at the mall. 2005, the last time. And it was up in Albany where the Giants used to hold training camp. And things got a little feisty. Things got a little heated. You know, that was when Herman Edwards was in his final season as Jets head coach. Jets were coming off, you know, a, a, a strong season in 04 where they went to the playoffs and probably should have beaten the Steelers in that second-round game in Pittsburgh, let that one elude them, and, um, you know, could have easily been in the AFC Championship game the year before. So they had high hopes in 2005. Giants, that was still year number two, or going into year number two with Tom Coughlin the previous year. You know, they made that changing of the guard from – Kurt Warner, who began the year, and then they turned the reins over to Eli Manning, and the rest was history. But 2005 turned out to be a brutal year for the Jets. Nothing went right. Herman Edwards was gone off to Kansas City at the end of that season, and the Giants ended up winning the division in 2005 before they were one and done against the Carolina Panthers uh, in the playoffs. But what happened in August at that training camp practice, um, yeah, got a little heated, got a little feisty. I mean, these teams came to blows. You had... Donnie Henderson, who was, yeah, they, they needed a bell. They needed a ref. They didn't have one, though, unfortunately. You know, Mills Lane wasn't on the scene. But, uh, you know, Donnie Henderson, who was the Jet defensive coordinator at the time, some of you may remember him, he was as feisty and uh, was not afraid to back down and uh, didn't do a lot to uh, calm things down either. Let's put it that way. But um, it, it got pretty rowdy. And, you know, over the years, like talking to, 
several guys who were on those teams and were involved in those skirmishes. They said, you know, it was uh, that that's not what you want in training camp. Right. As a, a smart man once said, it's not what you want. And they basically called off the dogs after that. And that's the reason why all these years later we are going to start it up again tomorrow. This will be in East Rutherford, at the giant facility. They'll scrimmage tomorrow afternoon, and hopefully it'll be a lot more peaceful than it was uh, all those years ago because then they got to do it again on Sunday at MetLife Stadium in the preseason finale. One o'clock kickoff. Our pregame right here on 98.7 begins at 11 a.m. But, yeah, we'll see how that goes tomorrow, and hopefully nobody is any more worse for the wear than uh, they were going in. couple of things, though, from a uh, Jet perspective. Number one, Robert Sala said today I was out at camp doing a couple of interviews for the pregame on Sunday, which I think you'll like. Lawrence Cager is one of them. He's had a great camp and really had some interesting things to say. So check out the pregame on Sunday. Uh, some insightful things from the Jet tight end, former wide receiver turned tight end, who's trying to make this roster, and he's having a nice little start to his preseason. But Robert Sala said after practice today that he expects the starters to play anywhere from a quarter to a half on Sunday afternoon. Monday, only a handful of starters played against the Atlanta Falcons, so you'll see a little bit more of them in this game on Sunday. Yeah, it's cool, but on the flip side, you want them to make it off that field in one piece and ready to rock and roll for September 11th and the Baltimore Ravens. Giants, on the other hand, they weren't as fortunate because Colin Johnson, one of their young wide receivers, who's having himself a really, really good camp, and a guy that was carving out probably a nice little role for himself for this season suffers an Achilles injury, and he's down for the count and lost for the season. You feel bad for him. Like I said, he was having a really, really good camp. And now if you're the Giants, you know, you're forced to scramble a little bit when you're talking about what you do for weapons for Daniel Jones. Now, at least somewhat of a silver lining, one guy goes down, another guy comes back, and that would be Sterling Shepard who, after getting injured last year, still has not taken the practice field. Well, he's back. He is there, and that's certainly good to see. Like, they're not going to rush him back, of course, and it might take some time. Who knows how much of a factor he's going to be in week number one. Is he still trying to get his legs and, you know, just getting back to game speed and the flow and all that stuff? I mean, it doesn't happen overnight here. So Sterling talked earlier today and talked about coming back from injury. Feel great, man. Just being back on the field. I mean, it's a blessing, especially when you go through an injury like that and you've been on the sidelines for so long watching those guys get after it. You got to take every day and uh, cherish them because you never know when you can have a have to sit out that long. I was just blessed to be out there and happy to be out there with my guys. Well, this guy got hurt after only seven games last year, so that was you know what late October, early November, whenever it was. So uh, it has been a long, long rehab for him. Did he think he'd be back this soon? Yeah, I mean, that's always been kind of the timeline. And, you know, I had to work my tail off. They told me that if that was going to be the case, then I'd have to, you know, put in overtime and, you know, do a lot to get back and just dedicate it to the process. And, um, you know, it was a long, a long road, man, but it uh, felt great to be back out there, like I said. And last but not least, certainly says that he's thrilled to be back out there with his guys. This is like my happy place. When I'm not able to be out there and be with my guys, you know, it's stressful. So, uh, yeah, I've been itching at the bit to get back out there with the guys and been on the side running and doing everything. But like I said, I was pretty tired today. All that running on the side doesn't really compare to being out there at practice and actually going through drills and going through team sets. I could do without the um, 
the whole scrimmage tomorrow, to be quite honest with you. But, you know, I'm looking forward to the game on Sunday. And the fact that, you know, the starters are going to play at least somewhat, I, I think that adds a little bit of spice to it. And at least there's a little bit of an atmosphere in the stadium because you're going to have Jet fans, you're going to have Giant fans, and, you know, it, it's always a good vibe, even though it's only preseason. And, you know, the weather's supposed to cooperate, I think, on Sunday. So hopefully it's a nice time out. And, hey, it's a Sunday afternoon preseason game. Like, how rare are those? You know, for the Jets, I think you got to go back like almost 20 years to the last time that they played a Sunday at 1 o'clock preseason game. But that's the new NFL. That's the, the new way of the world. Michael in Newark is up next here on the Dan Grosser Show, 98.7 ESPN. Michael, how are you? I'm pretty good, sir. How are you today? Good, Mike. What's going on today? Talk to me. All right. Yeah, so I just wanted to say uh, the uh, – Fisher, uh, no, no, not Fisher. Derek Rose and uh, Evan Fournier trade you proposed. Yeah. I like that idea. Um, but the Knicks, they, they they can't trade RJ and a bunch of picks because that's just giving away too much of the future. They've been doing that for way too long. Um, and it's just, it's not going to work out well for the fan base or the organization in the long run. Um, and also, well, and, and, the, and, and real quick, the, real quick, Mike, I'll let you finish. And, and look, it's gonna. Ha- it'll have to be tweaked. Like it's not RJ and a bunch of picks because, as I said, it's not gonna work financially and for cap reasons. The Knicks are gonna exactly. have to kick in one of those veterans, like I said, who's making some decent money this year that they're gonna be able to take off of their cap. Because remember, Donovan Mitchell's getting paid a lot of money this year, and now you're gonna have to absorb that this year. So it's gonna have to be fine tuned, certainly. Yep, and uh, also uh, on the Jets. Um... As far as Robert Sala is concerned, I don't like how people are, are putting him under the gun right now. It, it's his second year. He came in with a, a brand-new quarterback fresh out of college, and it, he played at BYU. Don't get me wrong. It's a good program, but it's not the SEC. It's not the Big Ten. His competition wasn't up there with the likes of uh, Joe Burrow, Justin Fields, those kind of guys, right? Mm-hmm. So let's, let's give him some time, right? Let's see what happens this year. Because I think, personally, I believe the Jets are going to be way better this year than they were last year. That's not hard to do, but Robert Sala was outstanding in San Francisco with the 49ers, and they basically built that defense off of draft picks and developing players. Let's let him do that, and then let's see what happens. John, or excuse me, Michael, I agree with you. I agree with you a thousand percent, and thank you for the phone call. It's, it's way, way too premature to sit there and form any sort of an opinion or, or you know, a, a judgment on a coach. I mean, we don't do it to players, right, after one year? So why would we do it to coaches? Isn't it almost exactly the same thing? I mean, I don't know how many of you remember, if you're old enough, there was a head coach in this town, right? First-time NFL head coach. His first season, he went... 312 and 1. 312 and 1. Team was ready to fire him. Thought he was going to be one and done. 312 and 1. So think about it. Robert Sala won four games last year with a roster that wasn't expected to win a lot of games. Right? They're not like the Jets had high expectations any way, shape, or form. So once upon a time, this head coach, 312 and 1. Is how he began his career. And they didn't fire him. They let him continue on as the head coach. And you know what happened? The very next year, 
he won nine games and got his team into the postseason. Then two years after that, he was getting carried off the field in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl. You know who we're talking about? We're talking about Bill Parcells, right? Parcells got the giant job. Anything that could have gone wrong went wrong his first year. Bench Phil Sims is a starting quarterback. I, I mean, you know, it was dealing with adversity off the field. Lost both of his parents. Things were just snowballing for him. Giants could have just done the easy thing and pulled the plug. Like, who, who's this guy? You know, what is he ever going to turn into? What, what is he ever going to become? And then Bill Parcells said, you know what? I'm going to do things my way here. If this is going to be my one shot, I'm going out the way I want to go out. And obviously the worm turned. And he became one of the great coaches of all time and certainly one of the great coaches this city has ever seen, in, in regardless of sport. So, yeah, the, the book is far from closed on Robert Sala. And Robert Sala is going to have a lot more to work with on paper this year, talent-wise, than he had going into last year and starting with his defense. Remember, the defense was dead last in the NFL last year. So that is one area in particular that I think can't get any worse and should be better. And that's his forte, that side of the ball. I would expect a huge uptick with the Jet defense this year. Defensive line with the pass rush. And that secondary, they were playing kids last year in that secondary. Kids. And they knew that going in. They decided to bite the bullet and roll with all those young corners. And then both of their starting safeties got injured. Marcus May, LaMarcus Joyner. Joyner went down week one, never saw him again. May was hurt and then came back and was gone in early November for the rest of the year, never saw him again. They were signing safeties off the street. Elijah Riley, for example, God bless him, Long Island kid, went to West Point. They signed Elijah Riley, who was, I think, cut by the Eagles sometime in late November, and Elijah Riley started the rest of the season for them. Elijah Riley just got cut yesterday. Not any fault of Elijah Riley, but more so because the Jets have improved the talent that much more in the secondary. So you had a guy that was starting games for them late last year that they said they don't even need going into this season. It would be a detriment to that whole coaching staff if they're not better than they were last year. And the optimism is pretty high. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. More of your phone calls when we return. And unfortunately... We got to talk about something that happened that not necessarily want to say was predicted, but was feared. We'll talk about that when we return. It's Dan Grosser with you till the top right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Like, remember during the NBA draft and we were, you know, doing some shows and talking about the different prospects and, you know, who was, you know, who was worth taking and who should be the number one pick and. You know, it ended up being, of course, Paolo Bencaro. But, you know, Chet Holmgren was a guy out of Gonzaga that certainly had a world of ability. Unicorn, freakish, right? But when you look at him, he just didn't have an NBA body. You know, he's a seven-footer, but he weighs less than 200 pounds. I mean, he's rail thin. The guy can hide behind a broomstick. And you wondered how that would hold up once you get to the next level and you're playing against dudes that they have in the NBA. Big, strong guys. Well, he was playing in that Pro-Am game over the weekend in Seattle. 
And because of the virtues of the Internet and social media, you were able to see exactly what went down. And LeBron was in the game, and there was a fast break, and LeBron goes to the lane, takes it to the tin, and I guess, I don't know if he did something to his foot, made contact with his foot, or took an awkward step or something, but now Chet Holmgren has a foot injury. And we've seen how many guys come into the NBA, big dudes, where their careers are compromised and they're never able to fulfill all of the potential that they have and all the potential that, you know, you think that they're going to get out of their talent and their ability just because they're unable to stay healthy. And a lot of times when it comes to the big guys, it's the foot that's always the root of their problems, right? Yao Ming had to retire because of foot. Um, You know, Bill Walton once upon a time had foot issues. And there's countless others which I can't remember off the top of my head. But, you know, that's the issue. And now you got Chet Holmgren before he even plays a game, a real meaningful game. His body has betrayed him. And it wasn't even a situation where, like, you know, he tried to, like, draw a charge or something from LeBron and he just, like, barreled into him. It wasn't even like that. It's unfortunate, man. It really is because this kid looks like, not looks like, he's got a ton of talent. I mean, you watch him play at Gonzaga last year and he was the number one high school prospect coming out of the country. You know, you expected big things, but damn, that sucks, doesn't it? You know, you want to see these guys and these talented players out there because it's good for the overall sport. You know, and sports is entertainment more than anything else. And, you know, if you're Oklahoma City, you're praying, you're hoping, because damn, it would be, wouldn't be great to waste the number two overall pick on a guy who's not going to be able to be on the floor consistently. And that's what that's what went into the debate, you know, and I'm sure that that's why Orlando When they took Paolo number one, you know, Chet Holmgren was just as talented, if not more, than Paolo, but they probably thought, boy, is he going to hold up as much? Paolo Banquero's got an NBA-ready body. And who knows what's going to happen with Chet Holmgren. But you don't like to see this before the career really even begins. John in Queens, up next, here on 98.7 ESPN. Johnny, how are you? Hey, how's it going? What's up, John? Yeah, um, every 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 uh, off season and every year we say the same cliche about football about the Jets especially. It all comes back to the quarterback that it, it, they're going to live and die by what Zach Wilson does or by Chad Pennington or by Mark Sanchez or by Geo Smith. All these guys, every single time, every time we were disappointed. One time we should just get in there, trade everything we can for a great quarterback. Namely, let's say Lamar Jackson. We should get in there. I know it's never going to happen. I'm just saying hypothetically. Technically, really, what we should be doing is we should be trading every, doing everything we can to get Lamar Jackson, who does not want to re-sign with the Ravens next year. I'm sick and tired of this merry-go-round, this seesaw, this circle over and over of terrible quarterbacks. We need to trade for a proven winner. I know it's never going to happen. I'm just saying what should happen. Trade everything you can, picks, players, whatever will make it happen. That's what I think. Two, two things real quick. Number one, it's not that Lamar Jackson doesn't want to re-sign with the Ravens. Lamar Jackson wants to get paid. Lamar Jackson, after he saw Deshaun Watson get $230 million all guaranteed, he looked at Deshaun Watson and said, well, wait a sec. I have an MVP award. Watson doesn't. Why should he take one cent less 
than Deshaun Watson. It comes back to the Browns basically screwing the entire NFL. That's why the league collectively hates what the Browns did and hates that Watson contract because they basically now set the precedent. And and that's typical Cleveland Browns. And that's why the Browns are a horribly run franchise. But the other thing you said, John. That was a great move for them. That was a great move for them. They got a great quarterback from the future. This year he's not going to play. For the next 10 years they're going to have a top flight QB in this league. And they're not going to have this thing every year of, oh, I wonder if we're going to have a good QB or not or whatever. They're going to have a great QB, top five QB. That's going to be them. And we're going to be sitting here drafting another quarterback in the top five every other year for the next 10 years while they're winning, going to the playoffs and, and, and playing great. I'm sick and tired of it. Well, first of all, and John, thank you for the phone call. Come up for air a little bit there. Relax, relax. Everything's going to be okay. Um, I don't know if Deshaun Watson's a top five QB in the league. I don't know that. Um, I don't believe it, actually, either. I don't. Um, I wouldn't give him 230. Now, think about this. You say it was a great move. How's it a great move? The guy's already basically suspended for almost the whole year. How's it a great move? If I'm guaranteeing somebody, remember, this is, the, this is the richest guaranteed contract, and it was fully guaranteed in the history of the sport. And you mean to tell me that the guy who was going to break the mold is somebody who's already suspended 11 games and that people now probably have lost a lot of trust in? Like, the perfect player. Like, it was, not Peyton Manning, not Tom Brady, not Patrick Mahomes, not Aaron Rodgers. Deshaun Watson? And also, you know, he talks about the Jets, the Jets, the Jets. What team in the NFL can you not say that about? That their season determines on the play of their quarterback? <laughs> I would say probably uh, all 32. You don't have a quarterback, you probably don't have a chance. Not saying you need an elite quarterback to win, but if you want to get to, you know, the top of the mountain, even if you want to have a good season, you're going to need at least competent quarterback play. Can't have these guys losing your football games either. 800-919-3776. Tino's in Staten Island up next here on 98.7. Tino, how you doing? Dan, how are you, my brother? It's a pleasure. Always great listening to you. I always love your insights on everything that you talk about. Dan, I want to kick it back to the Knicks a little bit, if, if, yeah. if I may. Yeah. Um, so far, the summer, the, the summer uh, acquisition, you know, we talked about it about a month ago, the Jalen Brunson signing. I, I'm really not high on it, but I'm going to live with it. I want to get to talk a little bit about Donovan Mitchell and where we stand at, at, with the Knicks organization. I think where they should go when it comes to making this deal. It starts like this. To make the money work, it's either Danny Range has got to take either Derrick Rose or Evan Fournier. And then that's fine. Pick one. Take one. Danny, which one you want, you can have them. Right. Then, if I'm Leon, I say, okay, I got four young assets. I got Quickly. I got Grimes. I got OB. And I got McBride. Take two out of three. Whatever one you want. It's either one. R.J. Barrett, tell Danny Ainge to go kick some rocks if he wants R.J. Barrett. Because that's not going to happen. So I don't believe any of those stories about what Begley's talking about. I don't believe that one bit. That's just to bring the price up for the Knicks to fold, and that's not going to happen. Then, with the eight draft picks, we got eight future first-round picks. Okay, we have the most assets as of any any team in the league right now. Okay, I would tell them you can get two, maybe even I'll give them three uh, unprotected, and then two more. I'll go up to five. If that's not enough for Danny Ainge, tell him go fly a kite and try to make a deal with Washington or Cleveland because that's not going to happen because they don't have the assets that the Knicks can offer. What do you think about that, Dan? 
I think kite flying is really popular in Salt Lake City. I heard it's taken off tremendously, so I think you're spot on there, Tino. Oh, no, all kidding aside, though, thank you for the phone call. Oh, look, there's a pa- look, there is a path to a deal. There is a path to an agreement, just as you outlined, just as we've been talking about. That doesn't have to include R.J. Barrett. But if you throw in R.J. Barrett, it's going to sweeten the pot. That's all we're saying. But there is a path to a deal without having to part ways with him. Sure, it can be done. And if you're Danny Ainge, remember, you're under no urgency to trade Donovan Mitchell. You're going to hold out for the best possible deal, just like the Nets were doing with Kevin Durant. And they didn't get one, so they brought him back. He's still got three more years of contract in Utah. Now, as Tino said, there's other teams that have been snooping around. Cleveland's snooping around. Washington is snooping around. Um, there was one other team, too, I can't remember, that has had conversations with Utah. If you want to run that risk and you want to be patient all you want and stick to your guns and say, we're keeping RJ, fine. But then don't cry when another team swoops in, whether it's the two that I mentioned or somebody else, gives Utah a better package than what you're offering, and then you lose out on your guy. That's something you have to be prepared for. And I'm sure the front office has weighed every single possibility as far as that is concerned as well. 800-919-3776 is the telephone number. We'll close it out on the phones. Plus, an NFL legend has left us. It's Dan Grasso with you, 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs> and remember, I said it earlier for those that are just tuning in because a lot of people have inquired about, you know, getting the show podcast format and, you know, if you can't listen live, go back and listen to it later. I've been told that the hope is by Monday, everything will be up and running. You'll be able to get the show on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, the ESPN New York app. We're going to have our own little thumbnail picture, show page, all that stuff. Very easily to access. Also, the website ESPNNewYork.com. So you can get all these things. We're hoping by early next week there to make it happen. Um, Len Dawson passed away today uh, at the age of 87 because you know you think about Len Dawson and for the younger generation you know you may not know who he was Um, yes he's a Hall of Famer Super Bowl 4 MVP for the Kansas City Chiefs really was you know an icon in Kansas City you know for all the years that he played as a quarterback there with KC and then when he was done he made a successful venture into the media uh, as a broadcaster there in Kansas City but the way I grew up knowing Len Dawson, it wasn't the football player, obviously. I knew Len Dawson as the host of Inside the NFL on HBO. And for those of a certain age, that was must-see TV each and every week. You know, that show with him and Nick Bonacani, uh, you know, Chris Collinsworth was the third man on it, then Jerry Glanville was on you know, you know, from the 80s into the 90s, and then obviously once the internet happened and you were able to get highlights and this and that more readily, you know, the show kind of died off, and, you know, at least that original group, you know, went their ways as they got a little bit older. But uh, for probably a good, you know, close to 20 years, that was appointment television each and every week on HBO. You know, they went through all the highlights of the week's previous games. They did their picks for the upcoming week of games and, you know, these feature stories. Just one hour. And I'm sure that a lot of people would agree with me. I mean, Inside the NFL was as, as good a show in those days as, you know, as you had. 
um, you know, back right up there with, you know, Chris Berman and Tom Jackson, NFL primetime every Sunday night. This was like the, you know, the, the middle of the week version, if you would. I mean, inside the NFL even predates NFL primetime. If you want to go back and, you know, Len Dawson was the host and, you know, that's how I got to know him, of course, and meant a lot to the National Football League and to the game and, and the NFL and certainly to the people there in Kansas City. So rest in peace, Len Dawson, uh, 87 years old, wasn't doing well. He entered hospice care a couple of weeks ago, so you knew that things were trending in the wrong direction there. But uh, an NFL icon, Lenny Dawson, that picture that's made the rounds, too, of him at halftime of uh, the first Super Bowl game, you know, for Kansas City and Green Bay. He's in there at halftime sitting, in a, sitting on a folding chair and uh, working a cigarette, and he had a, a, an open bottle in front of him. I mean, they, they did it a little bit differently back in those days than they do now as far as uh, nutrition and maintenance and all those type of things. The other thing I didn't get to earlier was the 2023 Major League Baseball schedule was released earlier today, and it's going to have a little bit of a different format than what we're used to because every club is going to play the other 29 teams at least one series. So you're going to see everybody. If you don't like interleague play, it's not for you. Everybody plays everybody. Now, the division games get reduced from 19 down to 13. So you play your division opponents only 13. You get one series against every team in the opposite league, but you're going to have a natural rival who you're going to play four times, two and two. So obviously Mets-Yankees, the Subway Series is still going to continue like we had this year. Two in the Bronx, two in Queens. Season will begin March 30th, and it'll end October 1st of next year. So the way the breakdown is, 52 games against your division, 64 interleague, or excuse me, 64 intra-league games against your own league. You still play one series at home, one series away and then 46 games against the other league. Yankees are going to open the season at home on the 30th against the San Francisco Giants. Not a conventional opening day opponent, but that's the new world we live in. Mets will open on the road in Miami, and then they're going to have their home opener on April the 6th against the Marlins as well back at City Field. The Subway Series games next year, two of them at City Field on June 13th and 14th, at Yankee Stadium, July 25th and 26th after the All-Star break. And the All-Star game next year is going to be on July the 11th. So that'll be the week of uh, the break for 2023. I know you're probably saying, let's just get through 2022 before we worry about the 23rd. But I thought I'd tell you because the schedule is going to look a little different next year. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm trying to educate.